Hey, this is Annalise Olson, General Manager and Global Head of Print Category at HP. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's session. Listeners, if you haven't checked out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, go ahead and do that. And if you're on LinkedIn, check out the Leadership is Changing page, uh, which is called Leadership is Changing. Listeners, I have a wonderful guest with me today. Annalise Olsen is the Senior Vice President and General Manager for HP's Print category. She's responsible for the global category management for print, uh, 4P execution, P&L management, and country management. She's got 25 years of experience within uh, HP Hewlett Packard, and she's also been a strong. She's got a strong track record of driving transformation across different business roles. Prior to her role or her current role, she was the General Manager and Global Head of Home Printing Solutions in HP. She's also been the Vice President and General Manager of HP's Personal Systems category for Asia Pacific and Japan and based out of Singapore. And that's where I got, I got, I was was very lucky to meet her for the first time. She's a strong advocate for sustainability and diversity at HP. And in particular, passionate about work-life integration, workplace inclusion, and women in leadership. And she was the executive sponsor of HP's uh, Asia Pacific Japan diversity efforts, including the Women in Lead- and Networking, which is called WIN, and it was a group that was in, uh, based in Singapore. And she currently serves as the executive sponsor of HP Sustainability Strategy and Initiatives for the print business. With a Bachelor of Science in Marketing from Santa Clara University, she's also held a number of board positions with nonprofit organizations focused on improving the lives of women and children. She's currently based in the Bay Area within the US, and her, uh, with her husband and two children, she enjoys travel, music and DJ lessons. So that's pretty cool. Annalise, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dennis. Happy to be here to talk with you today. Excellent. So I've given a a brief introduction about your background. Tell me more about your background if you'd like to share anything else. But in particular, tell us a little bit more about the DJ lessons. (laughs) Well, I, you know, music was a huge part of my life growing up. And trust me, if I could uh, have that as my career, or at least my second career, that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm a fourth generation Idahoan here in the United States, came from a middle class background, spent a lot of my youth growing up singing, playing music, playing sports, keeping busy, and came from a family of educators where global and lifelong learning is kind of part of everyday life. 
was fortunate to live abroad at a, as a at a young age in Denmark as an exchange student, and that really kind of shaped my trajectory about things I was interested in. And actually, after I went to university, joined HP, and have had you know new roles all over the company, all over the world. Whether that was global business side doing R&D and product portfolio or out in front of customers in the US or in Asia or in Europe uh, talking about PCs and printers. And so I feel fortunate to be a global citizen and look, uh, having had an opportunity to look across the company end to end from many different roles. Yeah, impressive. And, and your background is very impressive and what you do and what you've done. So how did you get into leadership? You know, for me, it started back with sports, quite frankly. I I played basketball and soccer growing up. I was not the superstar, you know, up and down, up and down, but I was consistent. And and what I loved about sports was there were playbooks, you know, things always changed. You had different teams you were playing, you know, you may or may not get playing time. It was always a unique combination of skills depending on the year or the time. And so, you know, spending a lot of time winning and losing and learning those different sides of things really shaped, I think, who who I who I was then and what I wanted to become. I took steps in student leadership and other things over the years, coached then as I uh, coached sports, especially basketball for I don't know, 20, 25 years on the side next to work, but so many synergies around being part of a team. And what shaped my philosophy is, you know, one plus one is, you know, three or more and getting that magic at the seams of kind of any given Sunday, something could happen. And, and I, I, I think that's where it really all started for me. Yeah, when you mentioned the magic at the seams and, and you talked about before about winning and losing and how that shaped you, because for a lot of people, they just want to win. They just always want to win. But how important is that shaping of you as a leader, both by winning and losing? How has that helped you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, they say that shape, you know, things that shape us, it's not always the good, but it's usually how we persevere through the challenges, right? And right. so as you look at you know, losing, it's like, well, gosh, okay, we failed. What happened? Did we prepare enough? You know, did we um, have the right combination of people on the field, you know, at the time? Did we get out trained or outpaced, you know, by things? Were we surprised? And the great thing is, you know, you can go back at a halftime in the locker room and you can regroup. You can have those conversations at the end of the game and, and fuel yourself into what can you change? Because sports is a transformational thing for everyone all the time. Even the, the, the great athletes in the world and the Olympic athletes, they're always looking to achieve or do more. And, and, and I think anyone can get better from where they're at. And so I think yeah. the, the good and the bad teach us things. Yeah. And I think it's really important what you just said about halftime, which is great because you can actually regroup and then see where you're at and adjust. And then yeah. the other one was at the end of the actual game. I'm not sure. I mean, I know a lot of organizations do do it and some leaders do do it, but I don't know if enough leaders do do a debrief, if I can put it that way, a a way to sit down and, and do that. What's your thoughts about the importance of them actually doing that and what should they be doing around that? Yeah. I, you know, I, anytime I've either conducted or been part of postmortem kind of discussions or things, it, it's a hugely valuable place mm. to be. I mean, first, you want to create an environment where failure and trying things is okay because obviously people don't want to hide you you don't want people and teams hiding behind you know the green dashboard but like did we have hard enough goals to begin with you know to stretch ourselves but also just the space to create 
the conversation. So whether it's something bigger and more formal, sometimes on a cadence or a frequency, that's, that's useful, but also even one-on-one, you know, I like to do micro moment coaching. So, you know, you finish a moment, you finish a meeting or you finish a presentation or one of my team members finishes a big pitch capturing right then and there about what worked and what maybe didn't work or what I should give them feedback on right away. It always feels more relevant than waiting, you know, till the mid-year review yeah. or the annual review because number one, nobody likes surprises and they may have forgotten. But but also it's it's if it's genuine and authentic and in the moment, it's when everyone's real in the time, right? To to kind of learn and both receive the positive and or the constructive criticism too. Yeah, and I, and I like what you're saying about it being genuine and authentic because I think mm. that that is really important and in the moment, making it relevant. You're so right because how many times we've seen whereby there's been performance management, good luck, see you in a year's time, and um, they go back in a year's time and people get these surprises. It's just it's just silly. And yeah. so I think you're right. I mean, right there in the moment, that's the best time to hit the iron where it's hot, get people mm. to learn great debrief and some learnings for people. So then they can improve for the next one, uh, which is coming up, uh, could be coming up next, which is good. So some good things there. Right? And the micro moment coaching, I like that terminology. <laughs> yeah, very good. Annalise, tell me, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? Gosh, it's so hard to pick one. I'm sure people always tell you this all the time. One from history that I've I've been reading more about this last year, in fact, is Abraham Lincoln obviously was responsible for the abolishment of slavery in the United States, even though some of those laws took some years to trickle down to everybody in the country. But one, this last year, spending a lot more time learning and about some of the racial inequality that unfortunately still exists hundreds of years later here in the U.S. in particular, but around the world. But his Doris Kearns Goodwin is, is an author and has done these amazing leadership profiles over history. And learning about how he was one to work with people from different perspectives, not just his own party, people who did not agree with his point of view. How could he bring disparate groups together to make change? So there's a whole chapter about transformational leadership that I found um, quite inspiring and very applicable, quite frankly, to the times and challenges that we have now. One recent example, just to, to plug, Kara Golden, who is the CEO of Hint Water, is the other one that inspires me a lot, and I follow her. It's an amazing story about perseverance, where she had some health dynamics and different things where she wanted alternatives to Diet Coke. And she didn't know any, anything about the beverage industry. She didn't know anything about big volume businesses and things. She had a different kind of finance and and consulting background. And she just knew she had to find a solution to a problem. And Mm. she knocked on doors and she found people and she's built this entire company and brand off of a vision and a, a problem that she could solve without having expertise in the industry. So for me, stories of transformation and stories of perseverance are the ones that I get most excited about. Yeah, excellent. You can tell it from your voice about the excitement that you're <laughs> sharing there for sure. And I remember that you and I being in Singapore, there was an event and I, I'm not sure whether you were one of the execs that I got to speak at it, but um, I think it may have been your boss actually, uh, Joss Binkle. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. maybe. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I had him to come in to, to speak and do a session and he said, oh, can you come and see me? And I said, sure. So it was the, the day before I went and saw him and he goes, um, you know how we got this material? I went, yeah. 
he goes, I'd rather do something different. And I'm like, cool, tell me what you want to do. And they did the Invictus film, right? We talked yes. about that and yes. um, how you're talking about Abraham Lincoln and about the racial inequalities and that. And then the South African, he goes, the, with, with, with them winning the Rugby World Cup, he goes, how do you feel about me using that? I went, oh, do we have to? And he goes, why? And I went, I'm a Kiwi. We're the team in, the, in, that, in that film that lost to We're the, the other South, one. <laughs> South Africa. And then he realized, but it was a great way of sharing about leadership and about different races, about how to bring a country together, what you're saying before about transformation. And I think it's just a great way of, of, of using that, right? So, yeah, it's good. And there are so many stories out there that show us things and, and so forth, but we can learn a lot from those different stories. Mm, certainly. The title of the show is Leadership is Changing. When I say that, and at least what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, change is constant <laughs> now. I, yeah. I, you know, so so I think that the the you know the part of being comfortable being uncomfortable that that quote floats around a lot. I think that's one that I've had to both internalize my for myself and also demonstrate you know with my teams and and my colleagues that change is all about opportunity. And if it's always there, what are the things we can control? And what are the things we can't control? And then how do we prepare ourselves with the right flexibility and optionality for what might happen? How, how do we do scenario planning differently? But I think it really comes down to change is always there. We have to be more flexible. And things are changing all around us, whether it's generationally in the workforce, short-term, long-term, private and public partnerships, big companies and small companies. There's so many pieces that we have to, I think, consider to get our work done and deliver on our missions and yeah. our objectives that this optionality of being kind of comfortable moving in and out of what's constant is, is really important. Yeah. And I like what you said about change uh, is all about opportunity. And in my introduction, I talk about many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. I think that's also true for organizations. You look at Kodak, right? You look at all those kind of different scenarios that we've seen in the past. Taxi companies or cab companies haven't moved. Uber's come in. Big disruption, right? So with change is all about opportunity. I like, I like that. I think that's very good. Hey, um, how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you or your leadership team? Well, we're, we're, uh, hmm. there, there's no question, I guess we could throw change into the middle of almost every sentence here. You know, as I look at kind of even my, my career, I guess, in the course of business, if, if we go back 20 years and kind of start to see the evolution of developed and emerging markets or developed and developing economies, right, is some of the language that's used. I, I was fortunate early in my career, you know, I was 23 years old doing focus groups in China and India and places the first time for HP. And it opened my eyes to how people are using technology, what conditions have to be there in cases for people to have access and whatever. And, and, and so I think that trend for us geographically and globally had kind of set the course, I think, over the last, you know, 20 years or so. So that's one big one. The other for sure in our industry in print is the move from analog to digital. So no, no question that there's no paperless office anytime soon. But even since COVID, if you look at the acceleration of what people are doing, right, hybrid, working at home, figuring yeah. out how, how and where do you get your documents? Which things do you want digital? Which things do you want physical? 
in schools, you know, retention goes up by 30% when things are physical items versus digital. You know, you've got contracts, you've got work that represents people in terms of both creating and performing what they do. And so that whole shift to digital has really had to have us think about, you know, security in very different ways, how to access having the mobile phones and tablets and things to be able to move freely in between home and work and live this one life, even before COVID, quite frankly, you know, when you travel, nobody takes things with them, but they grab them when they land there. So, so that shift to digital was big. And then the last one that has accelerated tremendously for us, that's been a huge change is how people consume and pay for technology. So when you, we look at our print business, one of our fastest growing segments is our instant ink subscription program. Hmm. So we have printers that are smart devices that are hooked up and customized for that individual user. And that printer will order supplies and manage, you know, customers pay a monthly flat fee for X number of pages and they never run out. They gain savings by taking the HP original cartridges by up to 50% savings than if they go and individually buy them. And they have the convenience of never running out. If you're in the middle of a proposal that you've done or people are printing resumes or doing whatever, you run out and it's 10 p.m. on a Sunday, you know, you may not have a lot of options here. And so the we how we learn and anticipate in these new business models for, you know, services and subscriptions and pay for a seat, like in a managed um, compute or a managed print service, right? How if somebody wants to grow offices and they need to add 10 more employees, how do we make something scalable for them and not so capital intensive? They can manage it more as an OPEX than a CAPEX. And so that's really changed, especially the last few years, but even accelerated a lot since since COVID around the world as well. Yeah, that acceleration around COVID, I mean, um, that has, we have seen a lot of it happen for sure. And I, in your, in, uh, in my introduction of, of yourself and what you've done, you've been involved with like uh, work life integration and workplace inclusion. What's it been like for you and your team in having to work from home, that transition from office back into home? But what's that mm. transition been like? And then what has the transition like been like? probably then into the hybrid model of both in the office and at home. What was that all been like for mm-hmm. you and for you and also the team? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at HP, we ended up moving 52,000 employees in the matter of a weekend to work at home globally. And it was amazing actually how well it worked and how up and running you actually can be. And I think we went through several cycles, like a lot of companies did, where everyone kind of adjusted and went to Zoom and phone conferencing and things that we're on anyway. But it felt like in the beginning, okay, well, we just have to do this for a little while, right? And then it was, oh, no, now we have to do it for this much longer. And then it was this mm. much longer. And so that fatigue, that Zoom fatigue set in, yep. The how do you make sure? And, and again, back to my earlier point, how do you capture the magic at the seams with people when you're not always with people? And how do we set terms so people are not working all the time and on their screen all the time? How do you help people have flexibility in the day where previously people had childcare or kids were at school or you know they had help to deal with pets or kids or families or whatever? We went into setting meetings five minutes after the hour always. So that if people had kids that needed to log on to a class 
or, you know, pick up something because someone was dropping something off. We tried to build in 25 minute meetings instead of 30, you know, so there's some good cultural change that's come through, but you know, it's, it is exhausting and we had to really find new ways to reach out and not make people feel like forced fun, forced work, you know, all of these things. If people want to do a happy hour, great. In the beginning, it felt more required. And we, yeah. this next week, I'm crossing 52 weeks working at home. Wow. I've been into the office two times for some recordings and some special things with masks, of course, and all the things. But in the United States, especially I'm based in California, a lot of place workplaces are not open unless they're, you know, essential food, grocery, banking, you know, some things of that nature. And And so it will change for us. Now, we're going to go back to offices. We have our engineers and some of those folks back in offices. We have manufacturing, of course, given that PCs and printers are, you know, going through the roof. Everyone needs them around the world. But this new space of being able to live one life and helping companies be flexible and helping CISOs and CTOs move freely and know how they trust their employees, how they secure their IP for their companies, how they allow people to collaborate and defining the rules of when are they face-to-face in offices and when can they be remote and virtual really is how they can look to optimize their employee engagement, right? And their culture and their business results. Yeah. Do you know, only three years ago, I decided to leave HP and leave my role and because of my journey with my voice and everything I went through. So I thought, okay, I'm going to start my own business. And I'll run, I'll run it at a home. And one day I went for a walk because I keep hearing out there about this work, working from home, you know, the, the workforce mm. of the future and the and all that sort of style of things. And I'm going, is that just marketing stuff or is it real? Mm. And I'm not joking. I got to about 48 houses where I counted businesses just from the streets around from home. I stopped counting. I was like, okay, it's real. You can see it. Mm. I mean, it's just amazing. COVID is and the pandemic has just really emphasized it and pushed it a lot quicker, right? And um, mm-hmm. so we've seen for sure. So it's really interesting to hear from different leaders that I'm interviewing on how they've handled the actual whole transition. And I found that what I'm hearing from leaders that those leaders of individual teams or business units or the actual whole organization, if trust was in there mm-hmm. and it was a good foundation, they were able to pivot, adapt, move quickly into working from home and doing a lot more and got up and going and productivity didn't really drop off as much as mm-hmm. they thought they might have. Where others that had low trust, there they took it took a while for them to get up and going again. And um, it's really interesting to see how, by talking to people like yourself, what they've actually mm-hmm. noticed, which has been interesting. Yeah, I think trust is, I mean, is it's critical at any time, but I think you're right. If you don't have that, then you hear the stories where, you know, people are like, oh, who's monitoring my PC or who sits in front of a camera X amount of times per day versus, no, you manage by objectives and results. And so, you know, HP, we've had a longstanding history of flex work anyway. And so that I think has played well for, you know, we've had some employees who've needed some time off. We've had some employees who've figured out how to take their vacation, maybe with their spouse or partner to balance things. We've had other people who've had amazing journeys and stepped up to lead in new ways because their skills were even more applicable to kind of this post-COVID journey we're on. And so it's been exciting, exciting to watch. Yeah. 
Amazing. And um, as you say, you know, everyone's taken it differently and, and handled it differently for sure, uh, which has been another interesting discussion to have some time as well <laughs> around that. Hey, if there was one thing that you could change in business as a leader today, what would that one thing be? You know, I think people need to listen, mm. especially leaders. I mean, everybody needs to listen, but listening is what keeps a pulse on you know, what's going on around us. Listening is listening to customers. You know, if you haven't had a chance to meet with customers or, you know, let's say you run supply chain, you know, call in and ask for your customer service and support calls to see if you can listen in. This last year, I've been fortunate to engage directly with customers, both happy ones and ones where we've had to improve, you know, overcome challenges. But also, you know, a support customer, you know, talk to somebody who had a good experience, but even more importantly, talk to someone where it didn't go well and learn about what was it? Was it the setup process? Was it the information that was confusing? Was it something about a website? Was it software? And and you learn so much appreciation for how things really work. So I I think listening in all forms, um, listening to feedback, doing skip levels internally and externally it's where we can keep a pulse on things. And it's also where some of the best ideas come from. And so a lot, a lot of people don't, don't always remember to listen. Yep. I think that's a good, that's a great one to talk about for sure. And, you know, listening is really, really important. And I'm going to ask you next question, which could be related, but I'm going to see what you come up with in, in relation to that next question. But I think the thing is keeping the pulse on what's going on around us is really, really important. And we can learn a lot from from listening, as you just said. But I think there's another another step on top of that, which is then do something with it. Sure, of course. Taking yep. action, for yep. sure. And I think that's, well, and that's been, I think, very evident in this last year on things about you know, we've seen it, I think, in the US and others, whether it's talking about diversity or today. Today is International Women's Day in the United States. I'm, I'm a few hours behind you still. And it's great to go post, right? Or have a, have a company or have a hashtag or, you know, do something that's like, let's celebrate today. It's like, yeah, but similar to last month in terms of appreciation for Black Employee Month, Black History it isn't just one day or one month. It's looking and listening to diversity all the time. And then what actions do we take to move things forward to that more equitable future? And I I do think action, you know, that that's probably a good reminder, listening and action go hand in hand. Some people don't even do the listening. And so then they don't understand that what actions to take, or they come off as not authentic in the actions they take because they don't have context. Exactly. And that piece there about the authentic side of things is massive in the sense of a lot of people give lip service or it's a tick in the box or as you say, mm-hmm. it's a one day thing. But that lip service is, is really dangerous. And if they're not authentic with it, people aren't silly. They can see right through it. And I think this is where my, it's a great segue into this next, uh, next question, which is how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Well, I, I think your your comment on valuing authenticity because people can tell the difference when mm-hmm. it isn't. People expect transparency from companies, from leaders today. 
being able to share what you can at any given point in time, whether it's about business, whether it's about the workforce, whether it's about internal or external strategies, context, you know, it all has to ladder up and be part of what the company's vision and mission is to begin with. And if that doesn't match, employees can can tell, they can sniff that out. And yes. and and, and at least, you know, I, what we've continued to notice, and particularly as you look at new generations entering the workforce, millennials and Gen Z and others, is there is a synergistic view that many people have that ties to brand and ties to values of a company and doing business, you can also do good. And so that intersection, I think, is front and center for a lot of good leaders to make sure that what is the plan? Does the brand act in accordance, in line with those values that yeah. they're trying to live and drive every day? And is it transparent? And is it fair? Now I say fair, you know, is it equitable? Do people have the kinds of access and information that they need? There's a lot of studies that have come out over the last couple of years that people are trusting brands or companies more than sometimes their own governments. And so that also has put a call, I think, to some companies to say, you know, can you do good and leverage the strengths or skills or, or scale that you have in the right way that is aligned to your company values? And if that doesn't match top to bottom, yeah. employees see right through that. Yeah. And I think if you even step back from all of that, whether it be the governments, uh, organizations, a brand and things like that, what we do as leaders has impact. How we say it, what we say, what we do has massive impact. I mean, think about, I mean, for me, so much of that comes down to how engaged do we feel in what we're doing every single day, whether yeah. it's me as a leader or my teams or employees that I interact with. And engagement is really that measure of does somebody feel engaged? Are they fulfilled in what they're doing? Are they learning? You know, are they rewarded and recognized in the right way? And lots of studies there too, that the more that engagement is high, you have loyalty, you have better results and less attrition, right? And if that's the goal of training and growing leaders over time, that, that would then have to be that expectation. Yeah, and, and a whole lot more fun, I think. It's, it's a fun I think so too. Well, yeah. Ultimately, it's, it is way more fun. I think that's <laughs> definitely true. Yeah. That should be an aspiration. That's why I should DJ at work sometimes, but I, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> that's awesome. And um, in this fast-paced, ever-changing world, uh, what makes a leader successful today? Obviously, don't, taking DJ lessons is probably one of them, <laughs> but what else would it be? In terms of next stages for, for how leadership will evolve, yeah. I you know, I think that building from the last topic, I mean, transparency has to just become the lay of the land. How can people speak in their authentic voice? How can leaders be comfortable with what they know and what they don't know? You know, how they can bring their strengths to the table, but also know that, you know, they can leverage and work with a more diverse team. Also, quite yeah. frankly, as we look at the workforce in the next five years, you know, you look at trends around digital and automation, machine learning, these things are, we're clamoring for people to have these, these different kinds of skill sets. And it's, it's going to mean that you've got so much more diversity in the workforce, you know, generationally, so age, ethnicity, different people kind of coming to the table that if you can figure out how to maximize and get 
coalesce a group of different perspectives for outcomes, you can move faster for sure. And being more digital in that competence and more diverse in that outlook is, is going to be critical. I do think also that there, we talked a little bit, I think being able to, to transparently lead and because of these opportunities for public and private partnerships, the fact that there are small emerging companies and, and M&A activity and small folks who can serve bigger companies and vice versa, there's going to be an ecosystem, I think, of styles and business models that are going to come to bear. And so having kind of one set methodology that may have served someone well for the last 15, 20, 30 years is going to change. And it comes back again to that adaptability yeah. I think that that just is going to be second nature for people. How can you engage with the broadest groups of people and teams and and employees and partners around the world? And it comes back to being comfortable with the uncomfortable thing that you mentioned early on, right? So it, there's a lot of that as well. So I think you've actually covered that last question, which is where do you see leadership being in five years? Is there anything else you would add to, to what you've already shared about where you see leadership being in five years? Well... I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I have kids who are in university. So it's a great way to think about, because of course, I don't, it doesn't feel like I've had, a, had 25 years of a career, but I can't possibly be those ages that are on my driver's <laughs> license. But it's a the, misprint. Uh, yeah, it must be. But to see now the excitement and inspiration and or worry, you know, about what's kind of going on in the world with this new set of eyes or lens to me is again, makes me curious and interested to see how, how the next chapter is going to go. That's awesome. That's excellent. And Elise, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? LinkedIn is great. I'm active and pay attention there. And so you can reach me at Annalise Olson on LinkedIn. Yeah, excellent. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Annalise, once again, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. It's been a pleasure to have you here on the International Women's Day, and um, and it's great for, for you to be here. So thank you. You bet. Thanks, Dennis. All righty. So listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Share them with your family, your friends and your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me on the show or if there's a question you'd like me to ask my guests as I interview them or if you have an, a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, once again, if you haven't checked out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, feel free to do that. And also on LinkedIn, if you're on that platform, there's a LinkedIn page called Leadership is Changing. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in today. It's always a pleasure having you with us. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.